As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. We're just sitting here having a good time before we even get started with you. And I'm here with Joel Renner. I'm here with Maxine. Guys, thank you for being with me. And thank you all for being with us. Amen. It's an honor to be with you and to study the Bible together. I miss your mother. Yes, she's on a special assignment. And Paul Renner, he's always on a special assignment. In but fact, when Paul gets to come, it's a blessing. But Mama's on a very special assignment. She's yes, being she a is. true grandmother. She's she, taking care of William and Anya, my nephew and niece. She's having a blast with grandkids. She's a grandma. She needs to be a grandma. And we're just working hard in her absence. <laughs> we have missed you, dear sweetheart. We're ready for you to get back to the set. But Paul's not here either because he's doing all kinds of things. You know, God has really used Paul. It is amazing who he touches, who he connects with on very, very high levels in Russia. So proud of him. Wow. But hey, this week in the regular TV program, I'm teaching part three to the book of Jude. So I've been going through ver Jude verse by verse, really, really in-depth. I have a question about that. Sure. You just said you've been teaching part three of Jude. I have. And I just think that's remarkable because usually you can read Jude in like 10 minutes. Yeah. So how do you do that? Well, Jude, Joel, there's a lot in Jude. I mean, it's just jam-packed. And Jude had read the book of Second Peter. Isn't that amazing? Those early guys were reading what each other were writing. They were feeding off of each other's, just like we need to read the Bible. They were reading the, the Bible as it was being written. And when Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus had several half-brothers. One was James, who wrote the book of James. One was Jude. And when Jude read 2 Peter chapter 2, he was so disturbed by what he read that he totally scrapped his plans. Because he tells us in Jude verse 3, he had fully intended the word spodazzo. He was really going to put his whole heart into it. Then he uses the word poieo. Isn't that interesting? It carries creative ideas. He had really made a decision. He was going to write a letter about salvation, the Greek word soterion, all the benefits of salvation, poieo. He was going to really put all of his creative abilities into writing it. And of course, because it was his brother who died on the cross, his half-brother, and he wanted to write about everything that Jesus' death purchased for us, all of our mutually shared benefits. The King James Version calls it our common salvation. The word common is the word koinas, which is really the word to describe mutually shared property between a husband and a wife, or mutually shared property between a family. He was going to describe our mutually shared benefits that Jesus' death bought for us, and he was pretty excited about it. That's why he used the word spodazzo. But then when he read 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, But instead I felt an urgency, the Greek word anagke, which means an absolute need, something pressing upon me. I changed my plans completely. I didn't write the letter I intended to write. And I felt need to write to the saints to exhort them to earnestly contend. The word exhort, the Greek word parakaleo, a military term which pictured a general or a commander who came alongside of his troops, told them to hold their heads high, throw their shoulders back, look the enemy eyeball to eyeball, they were going to be sent into war. That's the word that Jude used. So now he knows like a general, he needs to speak to the troops and tell them to earnestly contend. Earnestly contend, the Greek word ep agonizomai, epi, 
is an intensifier, it means over. Agonizomai is where we get the word for agony. To agonize over is the picture of two wrestlers that are hurling each other to the mat, each one of them trying to defeat the other, and he describes an assault against the faith. And there are people twisting the message of grace, trying to hurl it to the mat, and Judas saying, do not surrender. This is a time for you to hold your shoulders back, hold your head high, look the enemy eyeball to eyeball, and to really contend for the faith because it's under assault. And when he read 2 Peter chapter 2, which you should read. I mean, that chapter is remarkable. I'm working on it right now in the RIV. He uses such lucid words, vivid words to describe people who twist the doctrine of grace, people who are in the ministry who deny what the Lord tells them to do. He gives examples of judgment, really vivid examples. He gives the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. He gives the example of the angels that send. He gives the example of destruction during the time of Noah, that God always brings retribution to those who do wrong. And the reason that Peter goes through all of that and Jude goes through all of that is because those who have twisted the doctrine of grace always say, we're exempt. We're under grace. Mm. We're not going to be judged. So both Peter and Jude say, hey, quit thinking you're going to escape judgment. In fact, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, that they're slumbering in the face of judgment. While they're sleeping, thinking everything is fine, the word judgment describes a judgment that is already headed in their direction. And Peter was trying to awaken these people. Wake up, don't sleep in the face of judgment. If you don't deal with yourself, the Lord is going to deal with you. And now Jude is, it's like he has the second chapter of 2 Peter here, and he has his own clean parchment and a pen here, and he's reading it and he's commenting. He's following the text building line on top of line. And that's why the book of Jude goes so well with Second Peter. Mm -hmm. Did that help you? Oh, yeah. Did I answer more than you asked? I think so. That's good. What else do we know about Jude? I know he was the half-brother of Jesus, but did he, where did he live? What do we know about him? Well, Jude was called an apostle in the New Testament, and he had great spiritual authority and a great reputation during his life. We don't know a lot of details about his life. We know a little bit, some of it's speculation. But he was the half-brother of Jesus. I'll tell you something else interesting. Jesus, James, and Jude, they were all from the same family. They all quoted the book of Enoch. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Which, is not a, which is not a biblical book. But at the time that Jesus was living, the book of Enoch was a really popular book. Not the whole thing, but the first chapters. The first chapters. And the first chapters of Enoch is where it is recorded that Enoch prophesied that the Lord was going to come with ten thousands of His saints. That's where that's from. That's not in the Bible. That's from the book of Enoch. But anyhow, all of this is, you asked, why does it take so long to teach 25 verses? <laughs> Especially since the first three are just a welcoming verses. But those first three are powerful, Maxine. This is brilliant. They're from the same family, and it, it, it it means that for their family reading time... They read the book of Enoch. They read the... That's brilliant. Not the whole thing, just the first part of it. It's not in the canon of the Bible, but... No, it's not. The fact that Jesus' family read it, wow. It was taken seriously. In fact, during the first century, it was a very popular book. It was quoted many, That's many brilliant. times. That's brilliant. Even the Apostle John quoted it. It's quoted in the book of Revelation. It's quoted all over the New Testament, those first chapters. Also, the book of Enoch is where Enoch described the angels that send. And... 
Jude writes about it vividly. Brilliant. Peter writes about it too. The angels that left their first estate and they came down, they slept with women, cohabitated, and the women produced giants. I mean, their sin was so egregious that God took those angels and put them into everlasting chains. They are held in chains to this very moment. In fact, Jude says, they're kept. The word kept is a form of the word toreo, which is used to describe a soldier who watches over something and trusts to do his care, which means God, Jesus, didn't just put them in prison like a guard. He's watching over them to make sure they stay there. I mean, these angels sin. It was egregious what they did. And the Bible says they were put into everlasting darkness. Everlasting there is the word ionos. It describes the vast expanse of all time in the future. And the word darkness is the word zophos, the Greek word which displays a place that is mute of all light. Well, what would be the ultimate judgment for an angel? To be placed in darkness. So not scotos, but... I mean, they are placed, these are creatures of light and they're creatures of movement, but they're put in chains. They can't move and they're under, the word under in Greek is the word hupo, it describes like a blanket. They're under dense darkness, a blackness that is indescribable, a place mute of all light. God judged the angels. And so for those in Jude's day who are saying, well, God's not going to deal with us because we're under grace, Jude and Peter go line by line. Hey guys, let's think right. And Jude even adds more. He says, God, after he delivered his people from Egypt, delivered them. And the word delivered, a form of the Greek word sozo, delivered them, healed them, preserved them, brought them into a place of blessing. After God did all of that for his own people, they believed not. And the Greek says they perpetually refused to be convinced about God. God destroyed them. And the word destroyed has within it the word apo, which carries the idea of distance. God eventually came to a place where he said, I can't be close to these people. <laughs> I just can't be. He distanced himself from them. Talking about God's people. And so, you know, praise God that we are in Christ. But even as believers, we have to understand that we have to live our lives responsible, responsibly or there are consequences. And those who live ungodly lives are going to reap very serious consequences. And Joel, this hadn't had one thing to do with our notes. It just kind of came out of my heart from your Another thing I think that's interesting is we've been talking about the, the gospel of grace, the message of grace. Right, which is a real message. And I think it's interesting that from the age Jesus was 30 till the time I guess Jude died, so maybe 60 years, people were already modifying. They were. The teaching Jesus taught. And they said there's nothing new under the sun. Even today people are modifying the teaching of grace. And that's why people need to get the series called Mockers in the Last Days. That's what it's all about. And it comes with the study guide. And my friends, I want to tell you, what I put into these study guides I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just telling you the truth. It is amazing what's in these study guides. I would pay money for these study guides. They are loaded. And this week the study guide is free. All you have to do is go online and get it. It's free. And we're also offering you this week the book Last Days Survival Guide by Perry Stone. Look at this book. That is an amazing book. And one thing I really like about this book is at the end of every chapter, there are questions to really help you think about how to apply what you've just read. And we call them, are you ready for this? Let me find it. 
Last day survival guide, action steps. So you can really take action. But hey, let's go back to Jude. Are you ready? Hey, I've already enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank you for being with us. But let's go to Jude verse 17. So Jude has been describing everything that we've been talking about in this program. And then when you get to verse 17, he says, hey guys, what I'm telling to you right now, it's not the first time you've heard this. You've heard this before. Look at it. But beloved, remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles spoke to them about this. And when he says beloved, I just want to point out, it's a form of the Greek word agape, it's agapatoi, which is, describes somebody who loves someone so much they don't even know how to express it. It's an indescribable love. And that's the word we should have for, the love we should have for each other in the church. Do you love your church like that? Agapatoi? An indescribable, inexpressible love because you love them so much? But notice he says, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word remember is a form of the Greek word menea, the root, which denoted a written record used to record and memorialize a person's actions, or it often signified a statue, a monument, or some kind of memorial that needed to be permanent. Well, what's the purpose of a statue? For remembrance. It's for remembrance. When you see a statue, it reminds you of somebody or some past deed. It's not just an object of art. A statue or a monument or a memorial is intended to remind you of something. But what also is interesting is the word, remember the Greek word menea was also the word used to describe a grave. And there are some things you should never bury. There are some memories you should never forget. And here, Judas saying to us, hey, Guys, have you forgotten what the apostles said to you? Have you let it become cluttered and buried over time? It's time for you to resurrect it, get it back out, put it on a pedestal. You need to remember it needs to be a permanent reminder. Always remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word words is not the word logos. Maxime, it's the word rhema, which describes spoken words or spoken sayings not necessarily written, but though there are many verses in the Bible written about the end times, the use of this word rhema refers to things that were spoken by the apostles that may not entirely have been written, which means there's revelation that was available in the first century. Just because we have the New Testament doesn't mean we have all of it. We just have what we need to know. But he's saying, guys, in addition to what's been written, you heard the apostles speak themselves. There's so much information out there that they spoke about the end of the age, which he says, which were spoken before, and spoken before the Greek word pro-lego. The word pro means in advance. The word lego means I say. These are things they wrote and they said in advance. And he says, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word by the Greek word hupo, which means directly by, directly from the very mouths of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he adds the word Lord. And the word Lord that is used here, the Greek word kurios, and in Greek it is a capital. It's not just a Lord, it is the Lord. It is the supreme master, the one with complete authority over the seen realm, the unseen realm, the visible realm, the invisible realm, Jesus is Lord over every sphere. 
Say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, Jesus is, is Lord. Lord. Amen. Say with us, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, Jesus is, is Lord. Lord. And then notice he calls him Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. Who's writing this? Uh, Jesus' half-brother, Jude. Jesus' half-brother. Do you know where is the first time in the New Testament, the earliest time that Jesus is called the Lord Jesus Christ? By his brother. By James, who was also the half-brother of Jesus. It was the brothers of Jesus who first recorded that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really, really important because the word Lord, the Greek word kurios, describes supreme Lord, master above every realm. But the word Lord, the word kurios, was used in the Old Testament where it is translated Jehovah. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? What do you think they read during the first century? They read the Old Testament Septuagint. That was the most popular thing to read among the Jews at that time. And they knew that this word kurios was the word Jehovah. So when James first called him the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in the book of James, it's in chapter 1 and chapter 2. First, the earliest recording of that ever, because Ju James is the oldest book in the New Testament. James was saying that his brother was Jehovah. Wow. It's really a powerful declaration. Then Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, the word Jesus, the Greek word Iesus, is the word for Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers. And this designation meant that Jesus is Yahweh that saves and delivers. So Jehovah, Yahweh that saves, Yahweh that delivers. And third, Christ, the Greek word Christos, which is the New Testament word for the Messiah or the Anointed One. All of that is in the words, Lord Jesus Christ. So every time you say, Lord Jesus Christ, you're agreeing with who He is. That's not just a formula. You're saying He is Jehovah. You're saying He is Yahweh that saves and delivers. You're saying He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And the RIV of verse 17 would be like this. But beloved, here's the Greek word agapetoi. I call you that because it's the only word I know how to express how deeply I love and cherish you. Always remember, never forget, and continually call to remembrance the words which were spoken earlier and prophetically by the apostles and personal representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you come to verse 18. What did they say? How that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Well, Maxime, how that is a translation through the Greek word hoti. The word hoti is a pointer word. It's pointing you to the next thought. How that exactly that. Here is exactly what they told you. They told you concretely. They told you expressly. So they made this very clear. That's why the word hoti is used. How that they told you, and the word told, the Greek word elegon, which means they were saying and saying and saying and saying. The use of elegon tells us that the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ were so concerned about this, they didn't say it once. They said it again and again and again and again, how there would be mockers. And the word mockers, the Greek word empikites, describes a mocker, a mocker or a scoffer. It comes from the word impaizo, which was often used for playing a game with children or amusing a crowd 
by impersonating someone in a silly and exaggerated way. It was the very word used to describe a game of charades. Charades. When someone intends to comically portray someone or even to make fun of, ridicule, or mock someone else, that's the word that is used here. And you find this word used in the Gospels. When Pilate was finished with Jesus and found out that Jesus was from Galilee, he sent him to Herod Antipas. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Who was on the other side of Jerusalem. And when Jesus showed up, Herod demanded that Jesus would work a miracle, and Jesus did not work a miracle on demand. He refused to do it. And so Herod gave the word for Herod's bodyguards to impizo, to mock Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus wouldn't perform a miracle, so the soldiers, in an outrageous, really rude demand way, begin to act like they were healing the sick. They begin to fall on the floor and wiggle around like they're being delivered of demons. And Oh, my eyes. They're making fun of Jesus right in his face. They're making fun of him right in front of him. And now Jude says there's going to be mockers that are coming in the last days. And the word last is the word eschatos, this amazing word, which describes the very, very, very end of a thing. The word eschatos was the Greek word used in a navigational way to describe the very last port. If you sail to this port, you cannot sail any further. It's as far as you can go. He says in the last time, the word time, the Greek word chronos, in the very end of all chronology, when you come to the end, at the very, very end of the age, there will be walkers who will mock you and scoff about you, who will walk, he says, after their own ungodly walk. Lust. And the word walk again, the Greek word poreomai, which describes a transitional journey. These are people who once used to believe, but they've left what they've believed and now they've gone to something new. Now they're walking after ungodly lusts. Here he is depicting people that have become mockers, people who once believed in the second coming the rapture, now they don't. They mock those who believe. They've left their former position. They've transitioned to another position. And here is the RIV of verse 18. Talking about the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Verse 18. How that they were constantly saying that in the very end of days, when time has sailed to its last port and no more time remains for the journey, in that season... There will be mockers, scoffers, and false teachers who will ridicule and make fun of those who believe it is the last times. I'm talking about individuals who have left the path they once walked on and have gone in a different direction. Contrary to the life they once lived, they are bent on following after their own irreverent cravings and desires that are disapproved of and unsanctioned by God. Now, remember what I said to you? I said to you that Jude had read the book of Second Peter. Peter. So let's go to Second Peter. You find Peter says the same thing. They're quoting each other. Second Peter chapter three, verse three. Peter said, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own flesh. Put these verses side by side, and you can see that they're commenting on each other. And when he says, Knowing this first, the Greek says, you must know this as a matter of first priority. You really need to know this, that. He also uses the word hoti. Maxim, look at it in the Greek text. I mean, Jude is building on top of what he's reading. 
He said, here it is, guys. You need to know that this is expressly what's going to happen, that there shall come. And the word shall come doesn't just mean shall come, but it describes like a loosing. Something's going to be loosed inside the church that's going to be destructive. And he says, there will be loosed scoffers. And the Greek says it a little differently. Listen to this. The Greek says, scoffing scoffers. Mm. Scoffing scoffers. It's going to become their habit to ridicule and make fun of those who believe it is the last days. And what are they going to say? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4, and saying. Guess what? He does the same thing that Jude does. Saying and saying and saying. Saying. Where is the promise of His coming? The word where is the word po? It's a question. Where is it exactly? Come on, guys. There's been enough time for this. Where is the promise of His coming? The Greek word parousia. This coming that you've all been talking about for so long. And Peter then says in verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. And the words be not ignorant literally means Friends, don't let this be concealed from your sight. Don't forget this. Don't let this be hidden from you. It speaks of something that should not be concealed. Thus, it's a truth that you should keep in front of you all the time. Doesn't matter how long it takes, He's still coming. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day, and we're out of time. <laughs> So that's what we're going to start tomorrow. But this has been good. Yes, it's been very good. But we want to remind you, if you need prayer, please write us, call us. We believe in the power of prayer. We do. And I have to say, I think this has been very enjoyable, Maxime, Dad. This has just been a blast. Well, then it's worth it for me if it's worth it to you. And Thank I pray you. that it's a blessing to you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.